Hello, this is Dominic Kearns. Welcome to this episode of the Rising is One podcast. I'm joined today by Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing? I am doing okay. I'm still recovering a little bit from a rather depressive state uh, from the match last night. Uh, the match that we watched um, <clears throat> was not exactly what anybody was looking at and uh, or looking forward to. And the one thing that we are looking at right now is up at 14 teams or so, uh, 13 teams who are ahead of us in, uh, ahead of us in the standings. So. Uh, this is a very, very rough position for us to be in. Yeah, it's... Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I'm doing okay in life. I'm not doing okay with this team right now. I'm going to be honest, that was miserable. And I had been trying to say, all right, look, things aren't that bad. You know, our performances are going to pick up. And I was thinking that this week would be a springboard into you know, a stretch of winnable home matches, um, crucial home matches for our season. But the way that we played last night and to lose, it's not just that we lost, it's how we lost. It was, you know, being second best to an Orange County side that was anything but clinical. They were perfectly mediocre last night. They scored goals when we gave them opportunities. They did not create their own opportunities very often, but they took advantage when we gave them opportunities. And, in my eyes, we gave them that game. Absolutely, and and you, you know, we've we've sort of had this a little bit of a mantra of whether it's trust the process, whether it's um, you know we're just waiting for things to click. But here we are; we're about thirty percent of the way through our schedule, uh, and we find ourselves with only eleven points out of a uh, possible twenty-seven. That's a difficult position for us to be in, and I think it's really weighing heavily on a lot of the Phoenix Rising supporters right now. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, it's crazy to think of it as like May already being a crisis mode uh, or a crisis point for a team, but that's kind of where we're at. We have three critical matches coming up at home versus RGV, at home versus New Mexico in the Open Cup, and at home versus Las Vegas Lights. If we don't get at least two wins from those matches, with one of those being an Open Cup, there are some serious problems in this season. And if that Open Cup, if we don't get out of the of the second round of the Open Cup, I think that's a really bad look too, because we've had Open Cup struggles the last couple of years. I think fans are getting restless with these open cup first round exits we need to see real progress there well and and there's a question of depth and and we were typically thinking oh you know really our major depth issue is along the back line and now uh again we see austin ledbetter um on the bench for us and uh but our depth problems seems to actually be in terms of scoring uh, on, on our frontline guys, our, our wing midfielders and our forwards. And we thought we were solid. And on paper, things look that way. But paper does not play on grass. And that's what we're seeing. We're actually seeing, you know, what is the result of the team chemistry? What is the result of the playing style? Are we 
asking too much of these players in terms of the way that they're changing? Are we trying to pound square players into a round hole? Are we trying to, you know, are we not allowing them to be free? There's all these questions that are just rolling around in all the supporters' minds at this point. Exactly. And at this point, it's too far in the season for us to keep looking the other way and pretending that these aren't real issues anymore. You know, you can talk about a four or five game small sample size. Yeah, that happens. A goalie stands on his head. We hit a bunch of crossbars. Okay, that's a small sample size. We're past that. In our last four matches, we've been shut out three times. And this is not the beginning of the season. This is into the season, playing against teams that we're directly in competition for for these playoff spots. These teams didn't even have particularly strong outings against us. I'm talking about Austin and Orange County. And we lose those two matches. I mean, it's it's beyond the point where we can just say that these performances are flukes. These issues that were coming up in preseason at the start of the season are still there. The defense getting exposed on counterattacks. Giving the ball away before we can string three passes together. Not taking chances when we have quality scoring opportunities. That happens in the first three weeks, great. We're nine weeks into this season now. This stuff needs to stop. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, and, and I think that this is going to come up a little bit more as we get further and further into the pod here. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about what a lot of a lot of fans, myself included, was really hoping that this was going to be one of those matches that really lights a fire under the players. Here, <clears throat> we're heading into a, a place where we uh, have had competitive matches. Our most recent match uh, was the Western Conference Championship. We bring in a whole couple busloads full of people. We turn the place around into, into looking like a home stadium. We have all the hype of hashtag Orange County Hate Week. Everything that's coming in uh, to look like, hey, <clears throat> this this is a match that really means something to the fans, what's it going to mean to the players? And then we get some really uh, un unfortunate news about uh, Solomon Asante. He lost his father, uh, who was 80 years old, passed away in Ghana. Uh, that's an obviously an incredibly emotional thing. Uh, I lost my father last year. It... it really runs you through the ringer and here you have a, a, a really class player who's across an entire ocean you know on a different continent having to deal with this and then uh, he does fly home uh, unfortunately I think something that happened uh, in relation to the the team was getting ready to go or the team had uh, was was uh, taking off they couldn't add another player to the travel roster at that point, so they actually only traveled with 17. Uh, so we are missing a player uh, off of off of uh, the potential bench that could have filled in uh, for Solomon or been a third substitution of some sort. Uh, but we we're looking at playing with 17 players now instead of 18 players, and the team has lost its true leader or the, or the person who we perceive as the true leader, the guy who wears the captain's armband. Well, yeah, I think if you look at it, who are the two, you know, strongest leaders in the locker room, so to speak, it's Solomon Asante and it's Jason Johnson. And they were both out yesterday. 
no one I think the thing that you're always going to see with Solomon and Jason, you're always going to see them giving their all. It might not be their night. It might not, you know, they might have a couple bad moments, but you're going to see from the opening whistle till the final whistle, they're going to be working their tails off to get Phoenix the results it deserves. And we just did not have the people that could come in and duplicate that passion. And it showed. So who we did end up traveling with, um, in the starting lineup, we had Zach Lubin, Mustafa Dumbuya, Amadou Dia on the, on the other wing, and then Farrell and Cochran playing that's, uh, the center back position. <clears throat> uh, Tristan Blackman and, and our, our loanees, Tristan Blackman and Chaparro Jr. are both back with, um, they're not, not with the team at the moment. In the defensive midfield, you had Colin Fernandez and Kevon Lambert. And then replacing Solomon Asante, we had Joey Calistri. Opposite of him was Junior Flemings. And then our that uh, attacking midfielder role was Jose Aguinaga. And then our forward was Adam John. Substitutes on the bench were Carl Wazinski, FC Tucson's Austin Ledbetter, Duigi Mala, James Musa, John Baccaro, Ben Spencer, and again, an open position, as probably as the result of the requirement to submit uh, potential roster uh, uh, selection picks within a certain time period. And, and even looking at those subs, we only have two subs that aren't defensive. We have a keeper, we have three defenders. So in a match where we're down 2-0, we're really behind the eight ball. Yeah, and that actually did show because we only used two subs. Uh, we did not use the third substitution. There was no better choice on the bench than what we had on the field at the time, and I think that that depth played uh, played a, a, a definite role in our loss. Um, so, I mean, I guess we can get to it. I guess we can do our sponsor read first before we dive right into this match. Um, if you're frustrated, if you're looking to get out your frustration from last night, uh, go to the Arizona Sports Complex. They have indoor soccer fields. They also have other sports events there. You can get lacrosse going. You can get basketball going. Whatever it is, go to the Arizona Sports Complex. It's right by the 17 and the 101. Let them know the Risings One podcast send you and receive a discount on annual membership. And, yeah, just get out and do something because, man, that was rough. I, I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it from you, and I'm, I'm definitely feeling it from the match for sure. Uh you know, the game pretty much started off, starts out, the sun's out, um, looks like it was actually a little bit co- cold. My wife, uh, my wife, my son, my daughter, and I were all at the Thirsty Lion taking in the match, and my wife looks at their coach and says, is he wearing a down coat? So I have no idea what the temperature was at kickoff, but it was a little bit cool. <clears throat> we had referee Michael Radchuk, um, who uh, seems to enjoy pulling out yellow cards, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Announced attendance was 5,013 at the Championship Soccer Stadium uh, at, in Orange County at uh, the Great Park there. And uh looked like it was going to be a, a pretty good game, but quickly became fairly messy uh, because nobody seemed to want to connect with passing on either side of the ball. Yeah, it was it was a match where it looked right away like it was going to be scrappy. Um and, you know, there was that early chance for Orange County where Vinicius gets a shot off. Um, 
and Lubin did well to collect that. If he spills a rebound there, that could be an early goal. But you're right. After that, a lot of fouls, a lot of giveaways. Um, nothing too smooth going on in this match. Um, but what was frustrating is that Orange County had most of the possession, and we weren't doing much with our possession even before we conceded that first goal. And, um, you know, the first goal, the first goal comes off of, you know, just a solo run by Harry Forrester. Um, and Joe Farrell should probably do better defensively on this play. He's Forrester doesn't have a lot of support running down with him. Um, so he's just running. Farrell's there. He's backpedaling. Um, and then Kavon Lambert is just behind that. Dumboya's on the wing kind of marking, you know, potential wing runners. Um, but Forrester just runs in a straight line right past Farrell. And so then Lambert is tracking back. He's in a weird spot. And I think Forrester just slowed down a little bit. And Lambert had his arm out. And it's it's a clear as day penalty. No argument there. Um, but just just a, a sloppy play to give them. Um, you know, Orange count at least make them earn it. You know, make Forrester put the ball in the back of the net. Or well, do something. I mean... What he did earn was he earned the foul, because that was his only play. I mean, yeah, he was going one-on-one, but he he was marked tightly on each side, uh, and he had a, a, a rather large Zach Lubin in front of him. So instead of just allowing him to go ahead and take the shot and trust your keeper to be able to uh, to make a save, you know, the guy, he, was, he wasn't going to be able to, to really pull back heavy and hard. It was going to have to be a chippy, you know, chippy kind of a poke shot. Um... And, and, and trusting Lubin to make it. Instead, Kevon Lambert just runs up his back, causes the foul, and this is really a demonstration of, unfortunately, the commentator's curse. Because the commentators at that very moment, or just right before it, were sitting there singing the praises of Kevon Lambert and his, his uh, time with the Jamaican national team. And uh, <clears throat> I know that they were probably also thinking about the uh, Firebird soccer article written by Joe Lowry, which discussed, you know, uh, Kevon Lambert's uh, effect on the match as well. I know Devin Kerr actually read the article because he commented on it. So, you know, unfortunately, it's just the commentator's curse that happens right after they want it, they say some, this thing that's positive. Something absolutely atrocious happens. This is the second week in a row after the at 15 minutes or last week they're talking about how phoenix is maintaining the tempo and having possession against sacramento republic and has really owned the the 15 first 15 minutes and then the next 30 phoenix does nothing um so commentators i appreciate what you do uh but please try not to say anything nice about phoenix rising again it just doesn't seem to work for us (laughs) yeah we're we're a bad team going up against a better side next week stick to that narrative um I mean, technically, it's true. RGV is ahead of us now. That's, jeez. And not um, by a little. Well, I mean, one point, but... <laughs> um, once, once you get to the penalty kick itself, though, Aiden Quinn's one of the best in the business. He very, very rarely misses from the spot. And uh, sure enough, he puts it in, gets Lubin guessing the wrong way, and it's 1-0. Uh, so we we kind of move on there. I mean, you kind of knew it was going to go in before it went in when Aiden Quinn's up at the up at the spot. He's he's their ace. Yeah, um, I, I really hate that guy. 
I, I really do. I just, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm probably talking a little bit too much like the orange and black guys now, but just there's just something that really irks me about him. So, uh, and, and really drove me crazy at the end of the match, end of the Orange County match last week as well. So, um, you know, maybe he's given us a little bit of the Drogba treatment. Drogba wasn't exactly uh, kind and polite in his visits to Orange County. Um, so this is a way for Aiden to, to kind of pull it back in and uh, take hold of their home ground there. Yeah. Um, but the match continues afterwards. Um, Joey Calistri has an interesting shot that actually wasn't missed by much. This is one of the the few times in this match where we were pretty opportunistic on a half chance. Um, Junior Fleming just plays a long ball, and it would have been a sweet goal. Calistri just one-timed it, you know, a long ball out of the air, and it didn't miss the post by much. I mean, their keeper was frozen, too, because you can't really expect a ball to go in from where Calistri was standing, like edge of the box. But he, he made the most of that chance. Um, this is the really hard part about the, these players that are playing at the level that they're playing at, you know, is that they are looking upper 90. They, they are looking for those corner shots. And that net was just gigantic. I mean, it, it was as large as my third grade girlfriend. Um, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, that, that wouldn't be me pretending I had a girlfriend in third grade because I didn't. Um, but, you know, it... it <laughs> um, he, he had a lot of net to be looking at, and it looked like, you know, here he is. He, he takes this ball kind of on the vol- on the volley, and he says, I'm going to put this into ESPN top 10, um, and unfortunately puts it into the 10th row behind the behind the net. A uh, little, I... little bit unfortunate, but nice to see Kalistri on the field. He did have some time in the FC Tucson match on Tuesday, uh, although, uh, you know, that was alongside Ben Spencer uh, as well. So... Good to see Kalistri playing, might, but who knows? We might actually be talking about a different shot there. Um, the one I'm remembering was he actually kept it low on the ground and didn't miss the left corner by much. Oh, you know, I'm looking at this. This It's a shot in like the 39th minute. That's what I was thinking about. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of those too. I was just thinking on this on this chance, he actually did. It was a pretty good idea, and it didn't miss by too much. Oh, that was an Adam John shot. That was the Adam John shot toward the end of the to the well, end of the first half. Yeah, so let's get there. I mean that. So we create a couple chance. I mean, Kalistri has a shot that just another one that just rolls right to the keeper, and then um, then later on, Fleming's plays another good ball forward. Um, Adam John takes it down. He has space. This is a shot that needs to go in. That, I mean, that's the one that I was referring to. Sorry. Right. Before. If you're the number nine. And you're you have that MLS experience and you have that space, you've got to put that on target. You've got to put that in the back of the net. And I know it didn't miss by too much, but so wasteful. You're not going to get chances like that very often. And you just have to put at the very least make the keeper make a big save there. Yeah. So everything I just said, I'm saying now. So I'll cut that from here and move. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. That. You're you're right on. Exactly right. Uh, so after that, not too much happens the rest of the half. Um, and just thoroughly frustrating first half. Um, you're thinking, okay, are we going to see subs? But really, we don't have a lot of subs that we can make. 
Um, but you would at least expect, all right, the guys are going to come out, they're going to play harder than in that first 45 minutes. Um, but the second half starts kind of slow. Adam John picks up a yellow card, then Orange County gets another yellow card. Not too many chances to speak of, though. Um, but then we're playing this possession style. We're passing it out of the back, and Orange County was high-pressing the whole match. And in the 57th minute, that press pays off for them, as it did a few times. Um, a ball was kind of misplayed, and it put Dumboya in a tough spot. He had to reach. He had to uh, make a sprawling slide tackle to prevent the defender from being one on zero, basically. So he's just trying to clear the ball. Problem is, he kicks it right to an Orange County player up the middle of the pitch, and so this starts a uh, run the other way, and uh, Orange County is able to get the ball out to the left wing, um, play a cross in, and I don't know how there's a two on zero situation, but two guys are unmarked running up the middle. Um, the ball bounces around and Michael Seaton on his butt is able to put a foot to it and put it in the back of the net. Lubin Almost actually, an amazing save by Lubin. Lubin had a really good first, you know, first attempt. I don't know if it was a really a, a, a save or, or not, or the ball just got played right into his chest, but <clears throat> Darwin Jones centers the ball across. Um, uh, sorry. Harry Forrester sends the ball across. Darwin Jones places a foot on it. Ball goes right into Lubin's arms, but Lubin can't capture it. Well, and I mean, for on. some the reason, ball, the ball Michael goes right into his chest a million miles an hour from and, point but, blank range. At point blank range, he was right there. So that's what I'm saying. Was it a great save? Was it a you know good positioning? I I don't know what it was, but Michael Seaton is on the ground. He's laying down, you know, because he was trying to go for the the first first uh for the goal off of the cross two um and the two of them uh jones and seaton essentially just split lubin one on one side one on the other they both dove for it seaton's still on the ground from the first diving you know diving attempt and the ball comes off of lubin's chest right at right at his feet and uh you know if there's a poacher's goal that i've ever seen i mean that's essentially it um but, That's some U10 AYSO stuff. Right yeah, there. There, there's some U10, exact, <laughs> except the, the game would probably be halted if the player was down on the ground. Uh, no slide tackling allowed or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but you had three Phoenix Rising players standing in white behind, you know, on the wrong side of the guys in orange and, and uh, given up on, I don't know if they gave up on the play or not, it, bad positioning, uh, I don't know, but... <clears throat> You're right. It was basically a two-on two-on-keeper situation, and just a terrible situation uh, for Lubin to, to have to deal with. And how can you have two guys in the box unmarked like that at this level? Not only that, but after the initial shot, no one is back in time to clear that rebound before they can just tap it in. I mean, how far back do you have to be? Well, and it's two, there. it's two guys that they're on the ground. They're not even moving. They're on the ground. And you have Phoenix Rising p defenders who are standing up, who can still move. Like, you, it's it was bang-bang. I mean, it's really easy to say, like, oh, look, we're watching the replay. It's on, you know, I got it in slow-mo. And, you know, look, this guy slows up or that slow guy slows up or whatever. But the reality is, is that 
I would at least think that their the momentum should have driven them driven them forward into to be in the position to clear that ball out. Um, instead, you know, it falls at a it falls at a guy's guy's feet who's, you know, prone basically on the ground. It's just crazy, nuts! So play. I mean, and this goes to bigger issues that we've had all season with shape, where when teams press us, we've been struggling with it. When we turn the ball over. We don't have those numbers consistently back to stop that counterattack. The whole thing starts because they're high pressing. A ball was a little bit misplayed, and it put Dumboya in a tough spot. And he did the best he could, but it went right to Orange County, who then pressed it down our throats before we could get back. That's a consistent issue that we've had. Yeah, this the this possession style play. It's a good style of play. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I like to, I like seeing this attractive passing and, and moving in boxes and and we call tri- you know moving in triangles all the time. Uh, it, there are it, moments it looks nice. It, it can look really, really nice. But on this high press that we're starting to see, and now see there's tape on us, and that's the issue. The first couple games there wasn't tape on us, and we were able to get some good movement, and then we could say, well. You know, it's just not paying off because the final connection isn't happening. Well, now there is tape on us. Now they can see what we're trying to do. Now they know that the high press is going to essentially dis- disrupt and destroy what we're trying to do on the field. And, uh, you know, this this is how we're seeing in result at this point. And I, I do want to give some kudos to Orange County for having a better shape than us last night because they caught us offside a lot but they were still able to be effective with that high press and create you know create some chances to create some chaos we weren't able to do the same thing with them um and and then when we did have the ball in their half they had a lot of guys behind the ball they were very well organized more organized than we were in defense i just i don't know if you noticed that but in the first half a lot of times when fleming would have flemings would have the ball at the edge of the box or we were passing the ball around at the edge of the box they had eight guys back. They had whoever had the ball was being double teamed. It was very effective. And we're gonna have to figure the coaching staff, which is being called to the carpet, pretty much, you know, and everything that I'm seeing on Twitter and on Facebook, and you know, the coaching staff really has to has to get at this. Um, I I think that we have the players to be able to do it, but the real question is, do we stick to a style, or do we try to? allow these guys to to freely perform uh, a little bit more artistically than uh, than what they're doing now and I don't have the answer that that's for sure I'm just a u10 coach um, but it I and I know I know Shantz is an Arsenal fan and it's a noble style that they try to play because you know when a team like Barcelona does it it works but we're starting to look like Arsenal on their off nights when they're giving the ball away and getting hit on the counterattack and they're and the defense is looking leaky. Yeah. So. And, and, and the deep and our defense definitely had several, a few too many times where they had to sprint back in, 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 in coverage um, because we just couldn't hit, hit the transition properly. So, you know, let, let's move, we can move forward a little bit to our, our small sign of hope, um, which was a goal by um, uh, Adam John off of a John Baccaro cross or a John John Baccaro set piece. 
nice to see John Beccaro back in. I I seem to think that when he came into the game, uh, we were able to flow a little bit better. He he is very very solid with the ball at his feet. I think at this point the he's he's definitely an upgrade over uh, Jose Agunaga. Uh, I I'm looking forward to seeing him in that in that role next week. Um, so we can see where where his ability to create can come from. Uh, if you didn't know, Bacaro has been stuck in Canada uh, or Spain or somewhere else. I think uh, due to visa issues, he is a loan loaned player from Toronto Football Club. So this is not our our problem. It's really t- Toronto's issue uh, <clears throat> to get his. It far is as a season long loan, though. Yeah, it is, that's right. It is a season-long loan, uh, but we're not the ones who are in charge of making sure that he can play. They are, so it's not something that occurred in our front office, um, which we've had issues with before. Um, so, yeah, so he came on right after that 2-0. I do think that there are two crucial opportunities we should address before Vaccaro scores, and because if we score one of these, maybe we're able to claw back and get a 2-2 draw but we can't convert on either one. Um, first, it was... And these were in super quick succession, too. Um, in the 60th minute, Jose Aguinaga um, gets the ball. Orange County has a bad giveaway. Um, and so suddenly Aguinaga's open. He's in space. Orange County's keeper has to come out. Not the worst idea to round the keeper. I think maybe a quality goal scorer would chip it there. And Aguinaga doesn't have the confidence to do that but he he did he did get around the keeper um but then he just tries to roll it and there's not nearly enough pace on that effort and so i don't know who got back owusu ansa contour came back to clear it off the line we've had a couple of those you know goal line clearances this year which are always frustrating but you need to do a little bit better if you're going to run the keeper you need to hit that ball with a lot of pace um and put it in the back of the net. And, you know, I hate to be critical of Aguinaga because I do see what he brings when his passing is on, but the dude just has no confidence in attack. I mean, this is like, we would say this about Awako sometimes, but it's even worse with Aguinaga. He really, I have no confidence in him to score. It's just, it's harsh, but it's true. His primary role really is to make connections. Um, And, uh, but, Definitely not not on his foot. Um, I think the second opportunity that you're going to bring up is happens in the 67th minute as well, and that is off of a <clears throat> a, a very very long pass uh, that was Amadou sent up Dia by Amadou Dia. He he sends it up from about three quarters three quarter mark, uh, places it directly on the right foot of uh, Junior Fleming's. In the uh, in the circle at the top of the uh, the, the goal circle there, um, and Fleming's, uh, I think he could have done better on this. I think he rushed it. Uh, he's in a one-on-one situation. Takes basically, uh, I don't know if it's one touch or two touches. Let's see. Uh, I think he only takes one touch to to lay the ball down on the ground. Uh, winds up with his left foot uh, to shoot. The keeper is all the way up at the penalty mark at that point. He is so far out. Uh, he's so far off of his line, uh, b- expecting this this one-on-one shot that's going to come. If Fleming's fakes, you know, fakes it, 
pushes forward. He could have been around that keeper in in nothing. In absolutely nothing. Right, I, I mean, got... here's, here's a situation where you can round the keeper because there really weren't any defenders close enough to track back this time. Um, or even he could have done a little chip and even rounded the keeper and then just tapped it in afterwards. Like, there were options. I don't have too much of a complaint about this because it was a good save by the keeper. Not a great save, but it was a good save. He had to stick his foot out. That's respectable. Um, but I feel like we should have been playing those long balls more often early in the match because with that high press, Orange County was playing the offside trap game and it was they were vulnerable on plays like that where we play the offside trap perfectly and we're through. I mean, if, if they mess that trap up, we have clear breakaway chances. And this was the only the only one that we created in the whole match because Aguinaga, that was a giveaway that they gave us. Well, and ultimately, that that's the 2018 Phoenix Rising style, um, as well as what we saw a lot of in the early matches where we were able to ke- catch some players off, uh, and you had um, A.J. Cochran putting a good foot on pushing that ball up up on the side, finding somewhere, somebody in the high high midfield area to be able to make a play. And really, that's what we're set up for. This is a team, I, I said it earlier in the season, this is a team that is built for speed. Uh, now, this is a little bit slower of a night because we have Calistrian and Aguinaga, uh, but we still have Junior Flemings. So use the speed. You got to be able to figure out how how to build, uh, uh, you know, get these guys into one-on-one situations, and uh, this is an example of how to do it. And I think Fleming's just didn't didn't follow through. It just wasn't the finish was not what it needed to be. He did place a nice shot. You said keeper gets his leg out. He definitely had to make the uh, um, definitely had to make the save. But I think we could have made it a lot more difficult on the keeper there. And he had time. That's fair. He had time. And, uh, yeah. And then, um, you know, the ball gets saved, but we still have numbers pushing back. So Adam John puts in a really nice cross, and uh, Aguinaga gets on the end of it. And it was a decent effort, um, but it just misses. Um, there was definitely a spot in that right corner where he could have scored it. Um, just missed it. And uh, that's just frustrating to see. You really want to see him get a goal because right now he just doesn't have that confidence. Yeah, and at this point in the match, we're looking at, I mean, we're about at the 69th minute right before the the Adam John goal. Uh, We have six cards in the match at this point. So we have two yellows uh, for Phoenix. We had two yellows for... Uh, the one for Kevon Lambert, and then Adam John got one for either a dive or simulation. Uh, but Orange County was playing us rather hard. I mean, <clears throat> foul, foul, four, four cards for them at this point, all on fouls. They're playing us tough. They're playing us tight. Um, and they have a foul on uh, Owusu on, on Sakantor, uh, which leads us to a free kick on the far right, uh, uh, on the as you're looking at the goal on the right edge of the box, um, you know maybe some people, if we were trying to be generous, could say that that could have been a penalty. Uh, it was very clearly on the edge of the box. I think the ref spotted that perfectly, and that leads to John Baccaro 
being able to show us a little bit about what his skill might might look like. Yeah, just a well played cross, um, and then Adam John, you know, tallest guy out there, gets up for it, puts it in the in the uh, corner, and we're still alive. I mean, that's that's the quality you you want to see. I think I understand them not starting Bacaro with it being his first game back in so long, but I would expect to see him in the starting eleven on Friday, um, and hopefully he gives more of that quality because. That was so refreshing, and we really needed it at that moment. Um, unfortunately, we, we just couldn't really build on that. Um, you know, we had some possession, but we didn't create a lot of quality chances, and it was kind of confusing because I would have expected us to create quality chances with the momentum on our side, but for whatever reason, it kind of stopped. I mean... And we went to a full. We we went to a three back. Uh, hadn't seen that happen, but uh, you know certainly understood why. Um, in the 81st minute, we put in we pull out Joey Farrell, put in Ben Spencer. We go to a three back system. So now you're looking at you know as pretty much all the offensive firepower that we could possibly throw at this at this match. And there was some um, you, some rather frantic play. Uh, in, in attempts in, in what we were doing, but still the connections were not happening. Uh, Orange County would get a foot in, a ball would be played with too much weight, not enough weight. It's just the connections are just not happening. And I yeah. think th- throwing Ben Spencer on, I don't think that that helped at all. You know, to, it, it's good to have another offensive body, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what we could have done at that point to, to try and make it a little bit more, uh, uh, to make it a tighter finish. Yeah, I mean, we were very limited with the guys we could bring on. I think in that context, I don't have an issue with Spencer coming on. Um, but, I mean, we were we were pretty severely limited there. Um, you know, Orange County would get some interceptions. I didn't even mention before we scored to make it 2-1, they had a great chance to make it 3-0, but Darwin Jones missed. Um, Orange County could have killed this, killed this thing off earlier. Um, you know, Adam John had a chance, but the real one that uh, just was ridiculous that we just had to do better on, I think it was like the 89th minute or so, um, their keeper came way out, um, and the ball went to Dumboya. I don't know if it was a defensive giveaway or what, but Dumboya had options here. He could have chipped the ball or like tried to hit it hard into the goal. I think he actually had the right idea to play a cross for the back post for Adam John to not home. But the execution was horrible. I mean, he just totally overhit that thing. He scuffed it so bad. And we had like two or three guys that could have gotten a head on it who could have put the ball in the back of the net because their goalie was way out of position. Um, just failure to execute. I mean, Orange County kept us in this match. They tried to give us the draw. I mean, they've had their own issues holding leads, but we could not take advantage. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, I, you know, looking at it, it's really easy for, uh, you know, for a more, for a casual fan to say, "Boy, he just really blew that shot." But the reality is, if you if you look at that sequence, the keeper comes out. 
the defenders immediately recognize that he's way off his line and put two bodies right on the line with a third guy coming in. So I think if he would from that distance, if he would have gone for the shot, it would have to be just a it would have had to have been absolutely pounded uh, because here you have two almost three defenders who are essentially looking straight at him who are going to track this ball the entire time it comes in and they're going to put their body in front of it in some way shape or form so he had to play it off to his side he had he had to do something else uh but what he did was just not uh you know it's certainly not i think what he intended to do uh in sending that ball essentially out of bounds no i mean he overhit people by five to seven yards i mean the it was the good idea because we had a numbers advantage on the left side with those defenders covering the right post if that's a good ball we're probably talking about a 2-2 draw and it wasn't and it's just you know maybe maybe it just wasn't our night but it was perfectly it was a perfect embodiment of that whole game where we have opportunities, and the execution just isn't quite there. We're not quite sharp enough. We're not making those connections. Um, you know, OC had another chance late to add to their goal scoring. Michael Seaton missed. Probably should have scored in stoppage time. He misses, though. Um, I feel like if OC was playing us last year with some of the chances they had, they would have put four or five in the net. So it was not their sharpest match by any stretch of the imagination and uh we still can't capitalize um last chance for us comes in the end of stoppage time Bacaro takes that free kick um you know worth mentioning that we don't have jason johnson who would take that kick we don't have asante who would be an option to take that kick we don't have vega uh, devin vega on our 18 and look at what he's been doing on free kicks um, I think a lot of fans have criticized Rick Schantz lately. And I think that's one thing where I think it's fair criticism. What are you doing not putting Devin Vega on the 18-man roster for this match? Given what he's been doing and given the fact that we might be in a need that dynamic sub. We didn't have a dynamic sub on our roster. I mean, Becaro, I guess. Vega would have been such a great option there. We didn't have him. The free kick misses high, and it ends. I think at this point, the major issue here is, with John Baccaro back, uh, Aguanaga is going to be sitting more. Vega is going to have less chance to play as well. Um, I think that it's going to end up being a Baccaro-Vega midfield. I think Aguanaga, I think, has had his, had his turn at this point. Um, similar to Carl Wazinski, didn't start the season in the best form, Lubin has, gives Lubin an opportunity, and Lubin ends up taking that opportunity. Vega, I'm not so sure that Vega is going to be able to perform night in and night out. He's a very highly emotional player. I love watching him play. If you've listened to this podcast, you know how much I absolutely love watching him play. I think Lamasca is, is the fl- the fly. I think he just moves so effortlessly, and he's so annoying to the other team. But I think in, in, in a lot of games, he can get a little bit off tilt as well. He can be a little bit impulsive in his shot taking. <clears throat> so we'll have to see how his maturation 
uh, what his maturation looks like. Hopefully with some mentorship and some example from Bacaro, who's really a well-thought-out player. Um, maybe And maybe Bacaro could looks to be to me at sometimes that he's too well thought he thinks too much uh so maybe the two of them will moderate each other uh and and give us really that solid option that we've been missing and i'd hate to say it's you know the awako option but uh you know that that's kind of what we're looking at is trying to find somebody to fill that role as a good connector who can either push the ball to the forward push the ball right push the ball left or follow on follow on runs to be able to claim a rebound so far aguanaga has been able to follow but he's not able to finish and that's really shocking it's really a uh frustrating for for all of us that, who are watching you know i'm curious because i honestly don't know what aguanaga's scoring record was like before this season um because I don't know if it's just been this year he's been off and he was putting goals in with Red Bulls too. But, yeah, I mean, I know that if Vega had some of these chances that Aguinaga's had, he would have put a couple of those in. Yeah, he had six goals with Red Bulls too. The prior year he was with the Red Bulls U23, had seven goals, and then was with Sounders U23, had four goals in 11 games. Uh, so he's definitely off off pace in a big way compared to where he's been. And he's been getting these opportunities, too. I mean, you can't say that he's, you know, his playing time's been inconsistent, that he hasn't had enough opportunities. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I hope that we move towards Vega in that role. Um, nothing against the guy. But, you know, numbers speak for themselves, and you just got to be, gotta be doing better in attack because Vega offers the similar distribution. But he can also finish. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, he's also exciting as hell to watch. He's just so crazy; it's a lot of fun. For sure. Um, I don't know if there are any other takeaways from this match. I mean, uh, Tyler Terrence was pointing out that Dia was just having a pretty rough first half. Um, I think Dumboya has been playing harder the last few weeks, but. He also had a couple miscues last night. Um, it was it was a team loss. Everyone could have been better. Uh, but that being said, there were definitely a few people that that stood out, you know, in a more negative way. And uh, it's you hate to see it, but. And if we go to the numbers, I mean, it, it, as we're looking at the, the final numbers, you're looking at two teams. Uh, who have a lot of very, very similar stats. In distribution, OC, 365 passes, we had 366. We had, they had 64 long passes, or 65 long passes, we had 64. Passing accuracy, virtually the same. A passing accuracy in opponents have virtually the same. We both had 18 crosses. The biggest difference, though, is they had 18 interceptions of our passes. We had nine, nine interceptions to their 18. We were just giving balls away. Uh, and then we also had four, uh, four. We were called offside four times uh, compared to their one. So you're talking, just like you mentioned, that backs up that they were really showing a, a strong defensive organization. Uh, gave us a lot of frustrating looks. Unfortunately, we did have 14 shots. Four of only four were on target. Uh, they had 10 shots, four on target as well. And 
in terms of shots on box, they had nine shots on box in in the box. We had eight. Very very equal statistics, uh, but I feel like they sort of dominated. Yeah, it they set the tone. You know that the map was going to be physical. Um, they you know converted that early opportunity, and you know they were just always dictating that the the match was going to be played at their pace. They were going to press us when we were in possession. They were going to make it uncomfortable for us. You know, make it comfortable for them in possession. Um, so they just kind of controlled things from the outset. And in the last thirty minutes, yeah, it was like you tweeted yesterday. Um, we kind of panicked and up the intensity but that's that's too little too late um you know against an opponent like them that's not going to be good enough and you know as as i mentioned this was going to be the toughest stretch of our season i said that before this season started you know four away matches out of five you know at el paso at austin at sac republic at orange county that stretch is done the reason we're in a bad spot is because we did not stack points up early in the season when we had chances to stack points up. When we had three of four matches at home. You know, we should have been... We absolutely needed to win one or two of those three matches we drew at home. Why? Because now we knew this was going to be a tough stretch. And instead of being still having that cushion, still being in fourth or fifth place, we're down in 15th place right now. But no, that sounds but, doom and gloom. I mean, there's a lot of season left, but, but... Yeah, and, and really the crazy thing about it all, though, is that there hasn't been really one team that's come out and been like, hey, we're the best team in the league. We have 11 points. The league leader has... Uh, the league leaders are tied with 15 points. There's only four in the points... Th- in the West. Uh, I'm sorry, the conference leader, not the league leader, the conference leader. There's only four points that separate us from the top of the table. You know, and, and there's, there still is an undefeated team. That's Fresno. And they're in sixth place right now with 13 points. So it's, it is still early. We, there isn't one team that's utterly dominated. I mean, Tulsa's, Tulsa's at 15 points. But everybody else has at least one game in hand on them, except for t- Tacoma. But nobody cares about them. Um, so, you know, there's still, there is still time to play. Um, and I think the time for us to play is going to be in the next match against the Rio Grande Valley. Yeah, I mean, this, this sets up a, uh, a stretch where we have four, league, four home league matches out of five. Um, five home matches out of six when you throw the Open Cup in there. Uh, it starts with RGV at home. This is time for us to really get down to basics, buckle down, great training sessions, and not taking any opponents for granted because this RGV team, they started the year like a dumpster fire. They're coming on strong like a bullet train. They got three wins out of their last four. Um, they just took it to Portland on Tuesday. They're actually going to come into this match with more of a break than we are. Uh which always, I don't think people realize how much that matters. You know, having those extra four days is going to help RGV. Um, not a lot of household names on this team, but, you know, they've they've really poured it on lately. They beat OKC, they beat Las Vegas, uh, they put four past Los Dos, and they should have won that match. Uh, they kind of got unlucky there at the end. 
um, that a that a clearance that would have clinched them the game ended up hitting a, a low dose player stayed in the box. Otherwise, they, we'd be talking about a team with four straight wins coming in. And they drew New Mexico United. So this is not a team that we can take for granted. This is a team that's playing their best ball of the season. They're putting goals in like crazy. They have scored, you know, two plus goals in their last four matches. They've scored 13 goals total in that stretch. So we need to be really strong defensively. If we have these kinds of lapses, they're going to score on us. We, when we played them last year, we were lucky they missed a couple good chances and we escaped 1-0. We need to be so much better defensively than we've been lately. Yeah, and Rio Grande Valley is, like I said, for some reason I just have a real admiration for what they have down there going at, at going at the, the HEB Park, the Heeb Park uh, down in Edinburgh, maybe because I'm a Heeb, I'm a Hebrew, so, you know, everything Heeb is cool with me. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, they're, they're like I said last week, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere and they're playing their heart out and they're, they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. Um, they're 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. Um they usually do really well at home. Right now, they have their home record is two one and one, um, and they make things difficult for their opponents. <clears throat> so uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a chance for us to really show our mettle. Uh, we've already had the big team meeting, the big come to come to Jesus moment, you know, whatever whatever it is that. But we have to wait for that to to kick in because uh, Michael Salazar, Carlos Small, these are guys. Who, who are looking for us and, and they want to score on us. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that we have to be able to come together against a team uh, like RGV who has its good nights but also has its bad nights, and we have to give them a bad night. We have really yet to give a team, except for Tacoma, a truly bad night. Um, I would say El Paso. Although, how much of that was just the keeper slipping? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, where we, from minute one to minute 90, like, where, gone are the days of the, you know, of the given win, I guess. Um, but even last year when we played RGV, uh, it, when we played Those were their, two tough matches. They're tough matches because at that point they were undefeated. Now, they didn't have a win when we went in to see them last year, uh, but they had tied like six straight. They drew, like, six straight games. Well, um, and their keeper got, like, you know, player of the week that week or something. Yeah. So, uh, we, what, we're, what we've been seeing is we've been seeing challenges rising to us and not us rising to challenges. And um, we need to show some metal. And I think, the, I mean, you're going to see Asante back. The big question is, are we going to see Jason Johnson back? Um, I don't know if you have any insight on the severity of his injury, what a timetable is looking like. Um, but I mean, that's, that would be a key guy that can get our attack going because he's been one of the only guys that's in form, you know, scoring goals, um, pretty consistently for us. I think Asante will help, but Eli shut the door, please. And he brings the energy. You know, he brings the energy to the uh, to the field and, and lights everybody else on fire, too. Definitely. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting, too, to see if Asante starts. 
because he, I mean, he had to travel out to Ghana. So that's a lot of jet lag. He'll probably miss training on Monday. So, and it's a short week. So, I mean, he'll probably get a couple sessions in. I think he's going to start. It wouldn't be surprising, though, if he doesn't. Yeah. We're gonna, well, the question is, how long is it going to take for Asante to get back? Um, like, just, you know, kind of like what you were saying. Um, if he doesn't, will we see who, – who are we going to see on that edge role? That is supposed to be Kalistri's job. He, he is the second in line for that job. But is that something that you could put Vega in for also? I don't know. Yeah, it'll I, – I, I would expect to see Vega at least on the 18 for this match. I hope he gets to start. Um, I don't know what the lineup is going to look like uh, at this point. This is going to be one of the toughest lineups to predict. Um, but I'm going to say – I'm going to say 2-1 will get this win. There will be nerve-wracking moments. It won't be pretty, but ultimately, Dollar Beer Night is Dollar Beer Night. We just get the job done on Dollar Beer Night. Maybe it's a late penalty, something. We'll we'll find a way, though. Well, we do. We do. We always find a way. It does feel a little bit late in the season uh, to be having Dollar Beer Night, uh, but we haven't had to sort of rely on the Dollar Beer Night to fill stands you know, you are this early in the season yet. So, but with our run of play that we had, um, we're going to need it. <laughs> we definitely need this dollar beer night in more ways than one. Yeah. What do you think we'll pull the win out? Uh, I think we have to, I, I mean, look, we're still undefeated on dollar beer night. So I'm, I'm going to say yes. And I, I say we got to have enough energy. This really needs to be a 3-1 match. Um, really should be a 3-0 match. Uh, but maybe we give up one toward the back end, you know, in the, in the 85th minute or something like that. Um, but we need to have a dominating, dominating uh, exercise on Friday. Otherwise, uh, we're just going to have you know, a revolt in the parking lot. It's, it's not going to be a pretty sight as people are walking out uh, full of full of uh, Bud Light. Not a sponsor, but can be for for a, small, <laughs> for a low, low price. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have a reason to believe that it's going to be a dominant game. So I do think we'll pull it out, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. You know, I don't know if Johnson's going to be back. Um and I'm also really fascinated to see what the roster looks like considering the Open Cup match against New Mexico. It'll be on Tuesday, May 14th. We know it's going to be on Tuesday, May 14th. We don't have an officially announced time. I think it's going to be 7.30, I would expect. Um, but that's... I mean, that's something to keep in mind. How, how strong is this lineup going to be when we have that New Mexico and then we have Vegas four days after that. Um, you know, I, I know that some people view the cup as not that big of a deal. I think some years it's not that big of a deal. But considering that we just have crapped the bed in it recently, I want to see us have a run. I want us to at least make that fourth round and play an MLS team. You know, it's, it's kind of like that itch is getting pretty big now. 
you know, like 2017, whatever. We we had scratched it not too long before. It's been a while since we really scratched that Open Cup itch and gave fans a performance they're proud of. Um, so I want us to take that seriously. It'll be interesting to see if Rick Shantz does. Yeah, you either have to, you, you either have to bring it or have to sit. Um, and I think at this point we're all we're tired of seeing numbers on the far right of our of our um, record. And even though it an open cup doesn't affect that far right hand number, I think we're so tired of seeing L's. Uh, we just don't want to see losses. We're just sick of it. So here, what we really just need to do is buckle down and do whatever we can to get a win. Because, and that's on all levels, whether it's against Tacoma, whether it's against Tulsa, who's leading the standings currently, or whether it's against the Las Vegas Lights in the U.S. Open Cup, which doesn't count for USL standings, but it does count mentally. It does count in terms of finding the fans it does count in terms of publicizing the team like it really actually means something to people who care about soccer and i i think i'm I'm really hoping that we take it seriously because if we can get to the level where we're able to play an mls team that is just going to help continue to boost um to boost the brand and there's plenty of folks out here who are like well we're not going to watch until we're you know we're in the mls and we hate those people, but if, maybe if we're playing an MLS team, then they're going to they're going to watch that match. And yeah, when maybe watch, when we're maybe when we're playing at LAFC, people will be like, "Oh, all right, I'll check out, I'll check this out." You know, they'll think that Velo is playing when he won't, obviously, but they'll still be like, "Huh, okay, this will be interesting." And then it also gets the uh, the eyeballs on us out in LA. Maybe they're like, huh, there's this Phoenix team. Isn't this team owned by like Diplo or something? And didn't Drogba play there? And could be, could be fun. Yeah. I um, mean, and, and David Rappaport. I mean, come on. You know, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other angle, though, is, you know, New Mexico and us drew that first match. Imagine how, how bad it will be if they come into our building and beat us. Even if it's Open Cup, imagine how badly we're going to get dragged on the internet for that. Oh, it's, I mean, we're already getting nailed, even by our own fans, about you know the success that Kevon uh, that uh, Kevon Freighter is having over there. Um, that that you know there just wasn't space for him to have here, and uh, we have enough Phoenix fans who are new who are New Mexico fans as the result of Freighter heading over there too. So, you know, I mean, th- those guys are never going to. They are freighter fans. They are not New Mexico fans, but you know they're they're still uh, they they still look at him with a sense of longing and regret. Uh, I look at him with a sense of longing and regret. Well, then you're you're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want them to do well, but if freighter puts numbers up, I'm going to be happy about it. Not against us. Well, yeah, not against us. Yeah. But... Yes. Yeah. Well, that. He that that uh that hat trick he had was a pretty pretty piece of work that he had the other day. So yeah, a lot of things to look forward to um, or to be scared of as we're coming forward. Um, and, and all we can do is keep the faith because that's what a supporter does. Uh, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers. We I was watching their game. They're still filling stadiums regardless of what their record is. And you know. Uh, uh, 
who just got relegated was um, Cardiff. Card, Card, Cardiff City just got uh, uh, got relegated. They're still filling stands, so it doesn't matter. We just got to keep keep hoping for our, our team does does well. Well, I mean, Wolves is doing well, and then Wanderers, that's Bolton Wanderers. Oh, Bolton Wanderers, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be all, like, you know, Premier league Go to Across the Pitch if you're interested in yeah, that Yeah, go, go listen to Across the Pitch for people who actually know what the hell they're talking about. Even I know though they spend the whole time talking about, like, 4th, 5th division. But... <laughs> yeah. Which, which, coincidentally, you can play their 4th division, I think, still in FIFA 2019, so... Uh, if you w- really want a career mode, start with a start with a fourth division team and see what you can do. I mean, we're looking like that lately. So, um, let's get to the supporter section and then wrap this thing up. Um, you know, we had a feeling that there would be supporter section questions, and it looks definitely looks like that has been the case. Um, let's see where we start here. Give me one second. I know this is bad, bad podcasting, but well, we have a great comment from Patrick Donahue, uh, who I who I see here does say that at this rate, I'm telling you the dollar beer night cure isn't going to fix us. Uh, so you know, we just got done talking about beer night, uh, dollar beer night. We're gonna work on that, Patrick. We'll see where it goes. Um, we do have a question from Pat, an actual question, not just a comment from him. It says, what's up with our midfield and not passing? Is everybody, is everyone trying to dribble through four to five guys like it's FIFA on amateur? Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I definitely saw some of that last night, but I mean, I feel like it's a, uh, it's a no-win situation. We were also passing the ball in stretches patty cake patty cake and then people are upset about that too so i don't know i mean that's they didn't give us a lot of space they didn't give us a lot of space they didn't give us a lot of alleys uh there wasn't a lot that the midfield could do um you know in 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 terms of that and it we're always kind of had this history of looking to play the ball way forward uh that as, as we're trying to move move the ball with small passes through I, I just don't think that we're used to it i don't, I don't know that it's a style that we're going to be able to adopt in the end uh, I, I, think I really have a question of that i think what's a fair point is maybe instead of the dribbling through guys or patty cake passing we try to play more long balls for you know yesterday flemings who has speed or in the right moment uh, adam john or something like that that's a fair point instead of trying to dribble through everyone um, next question comes from Ruben Rivera, Rivera, um, are clubs playing us differently schematic wise? That's nullifying our strengths. I think at this point, the answer is yes. And we kind of covered it a little bit earlier. Uh, now that there's enough tape on us, now that they can see how we struggle, um, when, when facing the high press, uh, I think that that's exactly what they're looking at. They're using good scouting. Uh, and ESPN Plus to try to, to try to figure us out, and uh, there's a lot of great tools for, that USL provides the teams in terms of of being able to assess their own their own team uh, team members, their own players. But the same tools are also there and also available in terms of scouting opponent teams. And uh, is, essentially, this high press is just killing us the whole way through. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I would say that. Um... 
because so much of our momentum comes from zooming down the pitch, you know, with a ton of momentum. Well, if they're stopping that source of momentum before it starts, that kind of chops the attack off at the head, um, kind of takes it out right at the root. We can't even string passes together with this high press before we can play the long ball, before we can get going with pace. And so, yeah, I mean, there have been matches where we've been able to thrive and play our classic style, but I do think there is some of this. Clubs saying, look, we're going to press with our forward players, but then also, once they have the ball past midfield, really zoom back so that we're not giving them acres of space because we know how deadly they are in space. The the best way to kill that, to uh, take away space, is just to not give us space in the first place. And I, I do see that happening. And then we have our final question from uh, Pedro Gomez. Uh, not the Pedro Gomez, I believe, who covers sports on ESPN. Uh, but uh, he says, should we start questioning Chance's legitimacy? If not, when? I feel like we might have different answers here. Do you want to go first? No, I kind of want to hear what you have to say, to be honest with you. (laughs) I think now is the time to start questioning. This match made me start questioning. Because I'm not going to come to quick conclusions. I was backing him up in this early part of the season. You know it. Anyone who's been listening knows it. When people were panicking with the Colorado Springs, the Fresno matches, I was like, all right, small sample size, like, guys are still gelling. It's been nine matches now. And we still... And what's what's making me question things is that it's the same problems that are still coming up. This isn't new stuff. This isn't, um, I mean, I guess in the beginning of the season we had no defense, and lately we've had not a lot of offense, but we're still getting picked apart on counterattacks. We're still struggling with this passing style. I thought that this would be resolved by week five or six. And we're still having, we still have these giveaways. You know, at some point, I mean, look, you always want the players to be accountable, but at some point, you have to point the finger at the coach too and say, hey, what's going on? Especially when you do see a couple controversial moves, when you see Vega not getting called up very often, and he's a guy that looks like he could contribute to this squad, he could bring a new dimension. We're far enough in the season now, it's more than a quarter of the way through, that you need to at least bring the question up. I would not go full on, you know, torches aflame, um, you know, ready to tear a house down yet, go full riot, but I'm definitely asking those questions. And if we, in these next three home matches, say we, say we draw RGV, lose to New Mexico and barely beat Vegas, or we barely beat RGV, we lose to New Mexico, and we draw Vegas, then I'm going to be even more on that, all right, what's going on here? Yeah, and I think that that's really fair. Um, I I think at this point, now I am starting to get concerned. Now I am uh, part of that, that crew that really just has a question as to, um, not leadership, I, I think that Chance has has great leadership. I think that his players care about him. I think his players want to please him and, and, and want to succeed under him. Uh, the question comes down to 
how do you shape tactics? And like I'd mentioned before, are you setting up tactics because it's the style that you like as a coach? Or are you setting up tactics because it's what the strengths of your team can provide? And I'm not sure on the second part. I, I, I'm just not sure if the tactics we're employing are as the result of the style that, he, that the head coach wants to play, or are they really as the result of the players that, that the coach has chosen to be on the field? Originally, I thought, yes, Agunaga, absolutely. He's a, he has the ability to, to, to be a passing, to, to really run a passing master class. Uh, Cochran, same deal. But we've had enough instances at this point that w whether it's roster-related, um, not roster-related, but um, uh, starting 11-related, like our back line uh, for the first couple matches, uh, you know, the, the overall shape that we're playing, where there's been too much tinkering, and it's really affected my level of confidence uh, in... in what the reason for our overall tactics are. So I, I think that's where I'm at at this point. Yeah. That's a great question because I think even earlier, I think even a week ago, I would have said, you know what, like let's let's hold things back. You know, the team, it's still early in the season. We have been on the upswing. You know, look at us. We crushed Tacoma. We played Sacramento hard arguably could have won that match and you know maybe if those matches had gone differently we'd be a little bit more relaxed now but at some point you need to stop making excuses and just look at the numbers look at the eye test what's actually out on the pitch every week and demand accountability that's where we're at right now we're more than a quarter of the way through we're almost a third of the way through the season and what we're seeing right now is not good enough. So yeah, let's start asking that question. How are we going to make things better? Is he the guy to make things better? That's fair. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it absolutely is fair. Um, I don't know. Any closing thoughts at this point? I think that's... Uh, that's there's a lot of angst online, but those are the questions we got. That's it. We'll have to see kind of how the next the, the next week plays out. I am unfortunately, I will be unable to attend and watch live on Friday, uh, as I will be attending the Devils Ball, uh, put on by the uh, um, put on by ASU. Uh, so I'll be having a good old time in, in downtown Scottsdale. So you guys hold down hold it down and uh, you know pick me up three three points so that I don't have to be depressed when I leave the party. Yeah. Um, one one little bit of good news. Um, congratulations to Sporting Arizona and to FC Tucson for both picking up their first wins of the season. Uh, both those wins came at home. Um, Tucson gets a 2-0 win and uh, some love for their keeper down there. I don't remember his name, but he's an LAFC uh, loanee. Uh, he made some big saves in that shutout. And then Sporting AZ... Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about that one? Yeah, so Sporting AZ um, did uh, did play yesterday. Uh, they had their season opener. They won the they won the match two to, two to nothing over FC Grande. 
um, FC Grande uh, and then played in the 2018 title match. Uh, so, you know, really nice way to start out the season. Uh, <clears throat> they came out of uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, um, another New Mexico squad, and uh, ended up scoring both in the second, uh, what I believe it was the second half. Uh, the goal scorers were Chris Harmon and um, Ramsell. Uh, Chris Ramsell, Cripps, yeah, Chris Ramsell and and um, Chris Harmon, and so and Tyler Pavlet is is the uh, keeper or was the keeper for Sporting Arizona. That is a change because Andrew Weber has traditionally been the keeper for Sporting Arizona for the past two seasons, um, or uh, let's see, was it two seasons? Yeah, and uh, so different keeper playing for them, and uh, it's really good to see UPSL play start here. Next week on May 11th, uh, Saturday, May 11th, Mesa United and Sporting Arizona are playing at uh, Phoenix College. That's going to be a uh, a 7 o'clock game. That's a game that Phoenix Rising fans can definitely attend because Phoenix plays on Friday night. So if you have a chance, please come out and see Sporting Arizona take on Mesa, uh, Mesa, uh, Mesa Soccer Club. Um, and uh, that'll be a great celebration of local soccer. Absolutely. Um, so I think, uh, thank you for highlighting that. Um, I think that'll just about do it for this episode. All I got to say is, you know, let's keep that faith, like you've been saying, but also let's get those results. You know, we really... It's, it's not the time to uh, make excuses anymore. we got to start getting these results. And these next three home matches are going to be critical. I just can't stress that enough, how critical these are going to be. So, you know, get there for all those matches. Bring a friend along, too. Um, make sure that that is the best atmosphere at the stadium that uh, we can get. Because these guys need our support. They need it right now. Any shot they can get will help especially that new mexico even though it's on a tuesday get out there get loud that's a crucial match huge 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 match and uh, we look forward to seeing you and as always we're the risings one podcast and we're uprising uprising well i know we don't want to talk about other scores and the usl standings considering what happened last night but Here it goes anyways. There were a lot of interesting matches. We're going to run through them. We're going to talk about a couple of these in more detail. So let's get started. Um, On Monday, Los Dos and Las Vegas play a very uneventful nil-nil draw. Um, Las Vegas can't take advantage of a red card from Los Dos. So it ends nil-nil. Tuesday, RGV with a huge road win over Timbers 2. This match finished 2-1. And it was a late winner for RGV that gets them up to 12 points on the table. After Wilmer Cabrera opened the scoring, uh, T2 tied it in the 71st minute, but Carlos Small gave the visitors a win, their first road win of the season. He scores in the 85th minute, and RGV has really, really been strong of late. That's their third win in the last four matches. In their last five, they're unbeaten. So RGV really taking it to the rest of USL they are suddenly in the top 10, and that is not looking like a guaranteed win like it did a month ago. Now to the matches yesterday. Real Monarchs 2, Fresno 4. 
This is a big win for Fresno. The Monarchs have had difficulty holding leads, and uh, it happened again in this match. Michael Chang puts them ahead in the 17th minute, but Fresno responds with a vengeance. Kristen Cheney gets a brace. Kaylin Ryden scores an own goal to add to that lead, and after Monarchs pull one back, Jamal Johnson ices the game in the 90th minute, finishes 4-2, and Fresno now, one of only two unbeaten teams in USL. Just them and Tampa Bay Rowdies remain. Fresno, the only unbeaten team in the Western Conference, and 13 points from just seven matches. Right now, they are on pace to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. If you're looking at it by points per match, they are the number one seed in the Western Conference. So they're a sneaky, quiet team because they've only played seven matches this year. But it's been a very, very strong start for those guys that are too often forgotten. Moving on, we have OKC Energy 2, Tacoma 1. Tacoma actually puts up a fight in this match. OKC with a dismal 38% possession in this. Only 4 shots on target. Only 66% passing accuracy. But it's Deshaun Brown who gets them the win. He gets a brace. And when the score was tied 1-1, he put them ahead in the 70th minute. So OKC maintains their pace, uh, stays in the top 10, and that's their second win in a row after beating Orange County recently. LA Galaxy does get a win on the weekend. Uh, Los Dos responds. They take down Austin Bolt 1-0. That's two straight shutouts for them since that 4-4 debacle of a match. Ridiculous ending. Um... The lone goal in this one comes on an own goal from Austin. Jermaine Taylor put it in the back of his net, and that's the way it finished, 1-0. Um, this is much more typical from Austin. I was quite surprised to see them win 3-2 last week, but this is more what you would expect from that side. El Paso moves ahead of us in the standings with a 2-0 win at Colorado Springs. It was 0-0 at halftime, but right after the half, their new signing from Germany, Jerome Keysweater, gets a brace, 46 minute and 56 minute, and quite an impressive match. He, he uh, scores those two, 18 shots on, 18 shots total, eight on target, 57% possession, 83% passing accuracy, and it's El Paso who now has two consecutive wins against decent opponents. They have moved into the top 10 and they've jumped us in the standings. Uh, one other match that was quite interesting last night, um, Las Vegas Lights 4, Sacramento Republic 2. Sac Republic was ahead in this match. They were up 1-0 in the last 25 minutes after Hayden Partain put in a goal on a nice cross, but then Las Vegas struck. First it was Ivan Para in the 67th. Then with the score at 1-1, Josh Cohen made a terrible mistake on a corner kick lets the ball go through his hands, and Gabe Robinson puts it home to give Las Vegas the lead. They would add a third goal, and then late Junior Sandoval uh, hits a rocket from 35 yards to make it 4-1. Sac Republic puts one in as a consolation, but it ends 4-2. And the only other Western Conference match yesterday, Reno and Tulsa draw 2-2. Frustrating result for Reno. You would expect them to win this match. Corey Herzog puts a brace in before halftime. But Tulsa twice responded when they were down by a goal. Um, first it was Janu Silva. And then in the 60th minute they equalize again. Um, 
Rodrigo Bandera de Costa uh, to make it 2-2, and that's how it finished. Reno with a lot of shots, but they could not put in a winner. And so now you look at the table. New Mexico hosts San Antonio later today. By the time you guys are listening, they might be top of the table. Um, but as it stands, they are currently in fourth. The top three being Tulsa at 15, Timbers 2 at 15, and uh, Timbers 2 has a match in hand. Then you go down. OKC, Los Dos, and New Mexico have 14 points from nine matches played. Again, that can change if New Mexico takes care of business against San Antonio. Fresno and Reno are both on 13 points. Fresno has only played seven matches, though. Then you have another logjam. Orange County, RGV, and El Paso in 8, 9, and 10 spots, all with 12 points. El Paso has a game in hand on OC and RGV. 12 points from 8 matches, and they have really shot up the standings with those two straight wins. Then you have 5 teams on 11 points. Las Vegas, Sac Republic, Real Monarchs, Austin Bull, and Phoenix Rising. We are in 15th because we only have 2 wins. Everyone else has 3 in that list. San Antonio at 16th place with 10 points. They can pass us with a draw at New Mexico. And then Colorado Springs switchbacks and Sounders 2 round out the standings with 8 points and 6 points respectively. So it's not looking good for us. We are in 15th. By the time you're listening, it could be 16th. So not too far off the pace, but a lot of work to be done and definitely not where we should be at this point in the season. All right, time for our next segment. This is Aaron Blau, and I am back with your Firebird soccer calendar for the week of May 6th. Phoenix Rising returns to the pitch on Friday, May 10th, for the first Dollar Beer Night Copper State Friday. The team will be taking on the Rio Grande Valley Football Club at 7.30 p.m. at Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex. FC Tucson plays away... On Saturday, May 11th, at the Richmond Kickers in Richmond, Virginia. Kickoff at 4 p.m., and the match will be available on ESPN+. Sporting Arizona hosts MSC United, Mesa Soccer Club United, on May 11th at 7 p.m. at Phoenix College. This will be a great celebration of local soccer, and all local fans are encouraged to come out and cheer on Sporting and MSC United in UPSL play. FC Arizona plays away in NPSL play against ASC United on Sunday, May 12th, returning to their home field at the Estrella Foothills High School on Saturday, May 18th against AS Los Angeles. That's all from your Firebird soccer calendar, but good luck to all those many youth soccer players who are doing club tryouts for clubs like Arsenal, FC Arizona Youth, Phoenix Rising Youth, and all the Valley Club's across the Phoenix and Tucson areas. Finally, in late-breaking club news, Phoenix Rising announced today that forward Jason Johnson will miss four to six months with a lower body injury after his ankle got clipped in the first half of the nil-nil draw in Sacramento on Saturday, April 27th. Best wishes for a speedy recovery to Jason. That's it for this week's Rising is One podcast. We'll see you next week.